Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening here today. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Reclaim Me. I'm your host, Madeline Heather. Reclaim Me is a true crime podcast told by those at the centre of those crimes, the victim survivors. The general public often hears stories of victim survivors through the lenses of perpetrators or the media, and we're changing that narrative here. These interviews are raw and honest, so a word of warning is necessary as discussion and topics may be triggering or distressing for some listeners, so please use your discretion. If you need help or support, please see the suggested resources in the show notes of this episode or contact your local crisis service. Hi, fam, and welcome to another episode of Reclaim Me. I'm so happy to have you all here. Happy holidays. I know that we're just about to jump into the new year, so I wanted to make sure that we finished off the year with part two of the conversation with Jen. So if you haven't already listened to part one, please go back a couple of episodes so that you have consumed part one before you consume part two because we do jive straight back in where we left off. So the conversation probably won't make much sense if you don't listen to part one beforehand. In addition, before we get started, I do just want to also remind you, if you can, if you do have the time and if you do have the means, please go and write a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, subscribing, rating, reviewing, sharing online, posting on your social media. It all does help so much. And, you know, to grow this platform is obviously my absolute dream. I did have the goal of trying to get 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts by the end of the year. Sadly, I don't think we're going to make it. Um, But we have got about 61 there, which is still incredible. So if you can help me in any way to get closer to the goal of 100, that would be an absolute, oh, just Godsend. Thank you so much if you can do that. But yes, again, as well, an additional trigger warning for this afternoon's conversation, we are going to be discussing child sexual abuse. So if that is a concept or a content that you cannot consume yourself, or if you're a little bit reluctant or hesitant to do so, that's completely fine. Listen with caution and make sure that you're all looking after each other. That was the official advice we were given by the police was don't bother. So he didn't take a statement. Um, He didn't take me in to speak to anyone more specialised. He didn't even look up criminal history. He didn't take a statement from my parents. Um, He didn't, he wasn't interested in looking because mum said there was a list of other victims, wasn't interested, took no details whatsoever. 
um, finished his cup of tea and that was that. Um, yeah. The, to hear as well that she's disclosed, apparently there's a list of people that he's done this to. Yeah. How can you listen to what you're saying? Let's say maybe yeah. it does end up in, in a thing like that, but what, what he said, it's just going to end up being she said. It. Like, let's Fine. say that's the truth, right? Let's just mm-hmm. let's accept that. It still happens today. Absolutely. Yeah. Not that we agree with it. No, but it is a reality. True. Taking that step back and going, you've actually got the, the offender in this case or the alleged offender has provided a list of other people he's offended against and mm. the police officer goes, nah, not, not interested. interested. Yeah. Just a shrug of the shoulders. Nah. Yeah. yeah. It's only women. And you've got and and only you've children. Got exactly. And like- you've got a child here who's reporting abuse within six months of the last incident. That is incredibly rare. And from an evidence perspective, that is a very key moment in time where I should have then been taken into the police station and assigned a specialist child abuse detective to interview me forensically to gather all that information. Because if I, like, and that's something that, like, literally on a daily basis, I think about all of the details I had in my head then that are not there now. And I think, fuck me, if I had been forensically interviewed at that moment in time, the amount of evidence they could have got would have been huge absolutely huge and the you know forensic um, interviewers do an incredible job they are amazing um they're specifically trained in how to interview child abuse victims how to gen not uh, sorry generate the wrong term how to walk victims through um incidents as they describe them and gather all of the kinds of detail that are needed for um for backing up their statement and kind of providing really clear, strong evidence. Like they're amazing in how they do that. And it kills me <laughs> that because some, because Constable Lazy Dickhead just was, couldn't be bothered, I was not offered that option at the time. Um, and and we just went, oh, okay, that's like that's the official word. Like that's that's how the system works. So, all right, we'll move on with our lives which I guess I kind of did, and and in part two I will discuss what happened <laughs> in those intervening years. Um, but then I kind of got to the end of year 12 and or sort of my gap year and had a breakdown because, you know, bad shit had gone on <laughs> and I hadn't sort of addressed any of it. Um, and at the time became really unwell with it, um, acute depressive episodes and other things. Um, and my mum kind of said to me at the time, you know, I just, I I think you're going to need uh, a form of counselling for the rest of your life to deal with this stuff, which is very true. Um, and that's going to cost money. Do you think we should look at something like a victims of crime process? Um, because the whole point of a victims of crime process is that it acknowledges your ongoing costs in relation to that crime you experienced. Um and so when I was at a, about 18, uh, we looked into that. We at first went to just a local lawyer and said, like, oh, this thing happened. The cops told us that there was nothing that was going to work criminally. Um, but we wonder about, like, a victim's of crime process from a civil perspective. And the lawyer took one look at it and went, this should have gone criminal. Like, this should have been prosecuted. There's no, no, re- like, no reason it shouldn't have been. 
Um, and you should do that first before trying to do a victims of crime process. So we were like, okay, I guess, because we're just kind of going off whatever anyone says. Yeah. So we had like to you're, go. You're trusting in the expert yeah. to tell you what to do. You've trusted yeah. the first guy. Now you're going down a different pathway. He's saying yeah. go back. Go back. So we go back to this terrible police station with these terrible police people um, and made some statements. Um, yeah, and again, then I was much more detailed and kind of spoke about other things, but what they kept coming back to was, well, we need a date or a time or we can't make a charge. <laughs> so this is 2009. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that like, is just. I mean, it's actual like straight up lie. That's not true. <laughs> but also I was like, uh, that's not how um like prolific sexual offending and abuse works like over years like that's not it's not like uh, yeah it's just like uh. so we managed to my mum used to keep um calendars these big calendars to stick off on the world everyone's birthdays and like who's doing what and this school holiday and that shit and whatever else so we had all these calendars and using those we were able to kind of triangulate a couple of three or four dates where it was the same shit that he did to me every time. Yeah. But they were able to nail down, like, on this date, in this location, he was there, you were there, they were there, and, the like, we can make a date, like, we can make it a charge out of that specifically. Yeah. Um, and I kept saying, yeah, but, that like, that wasn't all. That wasn't. That wasn't it. So, so they were like, oh, good, we've got three solid charges, three charges of um, sexual assault of a child or sexual interference with a child or something like that. And I was like, yeah, but that's not all. And they're like, yeah, yeah, but there are the, those are the ones we can actually proceed to charge with. Um, so, and he did say to me, oh, yeah, there is this charge called persistent sexual offending against a child, but that's impossible to get a conviction. So we won't even bother with that. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, at the time, I was like, oh, okay. Like now, with my knowledge, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> what? That's, but I it's don't even think like, that's how police works, is it? <laughs> no. And it's like, what kind be. of. What kind of detectives do you have when the victims are the only ones that can bring in any evidence? Like you would think that the interviewing specialists would be able to go through different things, not just the calendars, but different people, different yeah. things, and say we can confidently say that we've got three specific dates and times that we've corroborated, we've got different evidence that supports these different statements kind of thing. Great. Additional mm -hmm. to that, though, you are providing a series of yeah. consistent coherent yep. statements, you know, that it's just if you have evidence of every single one of, like, what would the evidence be of every single one? He didn't give you a gift every time. No. It's like it's it's just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Some of these things that are, that are persist with people that, like, they, that make you think that it would be able to be pinned down for each one mm. and the, the fact that the circumstantial evidence what you're saying is that this has consistently happened. We can prove yeah. three, but how is that not building a case? Evidence of consistency. Persistent, exactly. 
It's in the name of the charge. Yeah, persistent sexual offending against And also phone. more than two is a fucking pattern. Exactly. One, and two, it's a and third all time. of those three, all of those three happened in, and that's what I kept saying to them, oh, they visited us or we visited, either we visited them or they visited us every school holidays. And then it happened, if not daily, at least every few days, every time we saw them. Now, there are so many witnesses that can confirm we saw them every school holidays, every time. There's so many witnesses that can confirm that. There are many witnesses that can confirm he would take me off for walking somewhere in those periods, you know, like shit like that. So, of course, you're not because I kept talking about like there's no witnesses to these crimes and that's why it's so hard. Sure, there's rarely someone literally in the room seeing the offending take place, but that does not mean there are no witnesses to um, the circumstances of this. Surrounding the event. Yeah, and also there is a witness witness in a room. It was me. I'm the witness that it happened, by the way. Like, oh, anyway. It's just so, frustrating because it just it just highlights how badly victims are represented by when they're not represented by the right people, so and how true. many people get away with multitudes oh. of crimes yeah. because of a police officer's lack of knowledge. Um, yeah, you know, and I I don't hate police officers. I think that sometimes no. they do wonderful jobs. I think they've learned a lot. Oh. I think there is a lot of accountability, yes. but it is yeah. your job. And I think yeah. at the end of the day. Your job is to protect the public and your job is mm-hmm. to help victims in as many ways as you possibly can. And it sounds yeah. like these people, either through ignorance or negligence, mm. do not understand the interpretation of the law and how it's applied. Yeah. Because yeah. Oh, I think that that's was wrong. super clear. Yeah, I think they just had no idea what they were doing. But then you need to call someone else. Like, it's okay. Like, to me, it's fine. Like, it's okay that you're in a sleepy cop shop, you know, in the middle of nowhere and you don't see these crimes often. Like, fine. It's just not really, you know, a skill set that you're super confident with. No worries. But then you call someone else and you get advice and you get someone to fly down and interview me or, you know what I mean? Like, there's, it's not the, the lack of knowledge that's the issue. It's then the lack of action to still provide a good service, just, you know, and to get creative in how to do that when you don't know. But instead of doing that, they were basically like, we don't know, but we don't want to admit we don't really know. So we're, instead we're going to give this terrible half-assed effort. Um, yeah, God, it was and rough. And not even maybe that they didn't care, but it's just like mm. what's the best for you in this situation? And, yeah, you know, you're right. Who's the senior investigating officer of sexual assault crimes in yeah. Sydney or Melbourne? Yeah, because that, that be person someone. should be consulted, yeah. goes straight Absolutely. to the, like the, your state level or you know somebody from a major yeah. city area that has experience in this yeah there would have definitely been someone you know kicking around that could have given some advice well from before um, this we've had a lot of the child sexual abuse allegations that were happening throughout the churches and stuff like that these investigations mm. at this time weren't new mm. do you know what i mean no 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 so no. it's like there would have been a number of experts within australia yeah. to be able to go and tap on the shoulder, ask for the best practice, policies, yeah. procedures. Can we get an expert to come out and assist us and lead the investigation? Yeah. And is this a like a dick in hand thing? And is it just like a, you know, and if it is that case, then at what cost? Yeah, yeah, huge. 
Because then, like, so the inaction in 2004 meant that by the time I was trying again in 2009, it was even harder. Um, And there were legit evidence limitations because the action wasn't taken in 2004 to forensically interview and that kind of thing. Um, And so in the end, uh, what went, they charged him with three um, something, so I don't know, three charges of, I think it was uh, indecent sexual assault of a child or something like that. Um, and he, they, the DPP then take over, so the Director of Public Prosecutions, um, and they sort of said to me, oh, what do you want to get out of this whole process? Like, why are you doing it? Which kind of pisses me off a bit because I'm like, what's that got to do with anything? Like, <laughs> Like, shouldn't you, the state, want to prosecute a, sex, a child sexual offender? Like, I don't, I don't actually see how it's relevant. But at the time, I was like, oh, okay, I've got to kind of justify why I want this prosecution to happen. So I was like, well, I want, uh, I want him to get a conviction so that it's recorded somewhere in his history that this is, you know, to, that he's a risk to children. And I want, I would like him to go on a child. Like a, like a sex offenders register for that same kind of thing. So we can't get employment in, in certain roles or, li- you know, that kind of thing. And the DPP lawyer said to me, oh, that's good. You're really, um, was he, did he say he used the term reasonable? You have really reasonable expectations. A lot of people come into this, uh, a lot of victims come into this wanting justice um, and that's really not achievable in these sorts of cases. Um. And I get what he was saying, right? Like, I get it. He's right. But what the fuck? <laughs> like, my mouth is like George <laughs> to the ground. The like Department of Public Prosecutions is saying, I'm sorry, I'm trying not to laugh. Yeah. I'm also trying not to cry. Um, I know. It's horrible. It's saying victims are coming in wanting justice. Yeah. And, but that's, that's unreasonable. not really reasonable. Yeah. It's unreasonable. And I, well, like, I agree with him in that this system is fucked and victims <laughs> yeah, it is. really rarely can get justice, right? So I agree. But the fact that it was presented as this kind of, like, good on you for having reasonable expect, like, like oh, good girl kind of thing, if that makes yeah. sense. like So patronising, like, thanks for not wanting jail time potentially, like, thanks for just yeah. wanting a reasonable outcome out of this. Like, yeah. So I what, then was like, oh, God, I just, okay. There's so many different like people I've spoken to who've had this from the mm. DPP mm. in different ways. And I think was it you actually that said this to me as well, that they'd said to you, it doesn't matter what you want, but yes, we, yes. we act on behalf of the state, not on the behalf state, of you. Not you. Yeah. Yeah. So what had happened, they so they charged him with three. His lawyer came back and said he will plead, but only to these two, because he's contesting the facts of the third. Um, and, and I was like, he's contesting, like, he's only getting three fucking charges when he knows it should be like 200. Like, it's so insulting, like to, anyway. So then the DPP said, like, had this meeting with me and it's weird. It's like they want to include victims in like, they want to look like they're including victims in the decision-making, right, around this stuff. But when they had this meeting with me, they explained, oh, yeah, his lawyer said that he's going to plead to two and that's really our best case scenario. 
if you take it to trial, you'll get ripped apart on the stand, like the defence lawyer. He then told me all these horror stories of like what defence lawyers have done to victims in the stand, the lawyer did, um, the DPP representative. And he's like, you don't want to go through that. Um, It's much better that we've got this guaranteed conviction of two counts and it achieves the goals that you said, which was to get him on a register and to give him a conviction. And so they kind of then turned it around like this thing of like, like see, and it's achieving your goals. And so then when I kind of, I, I was like, yeah, okay, but I really don't feel like that captures what he did, that like two counts. And then the DPP lawyer said, well, the reality is we represent the state, we don't represent the victim, so you don't, like it doesn't really matter what you want. Uh, which, again, he's not lying. He's That's true. But, uh, but, um, but it's pretty shocking to hear <laughs> and, um, and certainly to hear it in this context of kind of trying to make it look like I am agreeing if that makes sense. So how do I explain this? It's like they met with me because they wanted to be able to put in their paperwork that the victim was informed of this plea deal and was happy with the outcome, right? Um, And so I think that was the purpose of that meeting rather than genuinely engaging with me, talking about what a trial would mean, talking about what my goals are from this genuine place. It was kind of from this place of like how do we just tick off on our paperwork that victims informed and that they're happy with the outcome yeah um I it's wasn't tick happy. Box, ex- box exercise <laughs> yeah. yeah I was not happy <laughs> at all yeah. and increasingly over time I am less and less happy with yeah. how that process went down yeah because I remember us having this chat earlier and it was like it is like yeah. now like I we understand what they're saying but like what should have totally. happened is somebody having a discussion with you and saying the fact of the matter is that less than one percent of child sexual assault yeah. cases actually are convicted in court yeah we now have an opportunity to beat that less than one percent because yeah. you pled guilty if we yeah. don't allow that and we do go to trial what we're putting ourselves in jeopardy is is losing completely which yeah. the statistics are telling us there's a 99 percent chance will happen chance we will absolutely and it's like have the discussion with you, make sure that you're informed and understand, but don't, and especially don't by any means turn around and say they don't represent you, they represent the state. Like even though that's mm. a fact, how belittling and demeaning to mm. you as the victim who you're, the weird thing is they represent the state, not you, but you're putting as the victim every single ounce of trust in, into them. You're handing everything yeah. over to them. So yeah. then where are you in all of this? You become yeah. somebody that's just a party to somebody else's care and action. It's just fucked. Yeah. 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 And they sure it's it's like it's like they don't want you involved, but they do. So they then sure as hell wanted my victim impact statement. And they wanted my parents' victim impact statements. And they, you know, so it's this thing, it's like this push pull where they're kind of like, we want you, like, and it was the cops and DPP, like, oh, we want all this, we want you to do your statements, we want you to give all this information. But then when you try and kind of assert what you might want or what you might need, oh, that's not really anything to do with us, but we want your impact statement. But we don't really want to hear from you what you think about the plea deal or, you know, it was a really just like hugely disempowering and massively re-traumatising experience, like hugely. And, and like you say, statistically, I'm one of the good outcomes. You know what I'm saying? Like, how fucked is that? Like, I'm one of the fucking tiny 1% that yeah. gets 
a get like a conviction for this kind of offending. I'm one of the I'm one of the lucky ones, and it was awful. <laughs> so I really struggle with like when people ask. I've had lots of friends who have these experiences, both as like children and then adult experiences of sexual assault as well. And when people ask, like, "Oh, you did a court process," what what would you say? I really struggle to know what to say because I kind of think like. Jesus, on the one hand, I think absolutely, like, please pursue this if this is something you that you want to, that you feel will um, be important for you to do. And from a public safety perspective, I think it's hugely important to pursue these things. But also this system is not fit for this purpose and it will, it is harmful to victim survivors. It just is. Like, it's going to Even in the no best what. case outcome, yeah. it is brutal. Um, and I'm not cool with just accepting that. I don't think that's good enough. Yeah, I'm on the I same really page don't. as you. And I struggle yeah. as well with the guilt I think I feel for being one of the 1% right. because I got the immediate intervention. The DNA was there. There was no oh, con- yeah. There was no contest with the DNA because I was underage as well. So yeah. there's no circumstance that he could have created to generate doubt in that in that, you know, so it is a less than 1% kind of case, the amount of evidence that they had in that situation. But as well, you know, I even remember being 14, 15, walking into court and my friend grabbed me by the arm because I went to go sit down an aisle and I nearly sat next to him. Like Mm. his, his appearance had dramatically changed and I'm not looking around for him. I didn't think he was going to be sitting in the same area as me, but he is. Just chilling in the courtroom. Yeah, just you're next to each other. There's no security. There's no nothing. And, you know, I had the same feeling. And I think that because there was the guilty plea, it happens so rarely that they're not going to contest that really ever, knowing Mm. that the likelihood of him being convicted in a trial is so small. So they did the same thing for me. And while he did get a custodial sentence, which is fucked Mm. as well because I don't really know many people that have ever gone through court and gotten a custodial sentence. Mm. But it is. really rare. That's that that guilt and shame that I feel around Mm. being so lucky to have gone through that. Yeah, when actually that's just bare minimum how it fucking should be. You know what (laughs) I mean? Like like it shouldn't be like, oh, God, I feel guilty or lucky. No, 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 that should just be like base level system response to the violent sexual assault of a 14-year-old. Like that is exactly minimum how a response should work, you know. But we're left with this sense of like, oh, God, like how rare and how lucky are we. And even in that luckiness, it was brutal, as I'm sure it would have been for you. Like even your best-case scenario is fucking brutal Brutal. to be involved in that process. So after this, like the, you've gone through this with DPP and everything, mm. so did they end up pushing through with the guilty for two counts? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he got a – I only really recently reread the judge's sentencing remarks. My mum said don't, and I see why she told me not to because he was very much an old boys club kind of judge. Uh, he was like, you're clearly a man of great character who made it, you know, made a misplaced decision, you know, all of that shit. Like, fucking Why? classic. Look, he did it. He's, he's, okay, he's at least been found guilty of it twice. He said, yeah, I did those two. <laughs> like, come on. 
We're oh, laughing it, now, but it, it is laugh so or cry, right? Like it's fucking ridiculous. So this is in the two thousands. This is not this is, two, that- this is so by the time the sentencing happened, two thousand eleven. We're talking. We're not this talking. Yeah, I was eighteen. I remember because I was in. A, this is my year twelve year. Yeah. This is this is not long ago. No, it is not long enough ago for those statements to be made in a judge's sentencing. Not a anyway. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B two B, and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B two B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Anabotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eye and eyelid drooping and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. So he got... So with that kind of um, with that kind of judge, can you imagine what he got? He got a whopping two year suspended sentence, suspended, so no time served. With a now it was a twelve hundred dollar fine. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just love this that Maddie's like disappearing below the desk. She's like, "That's it." I threw my pen. This is fucking <laughs> I had enough. To pick it up. I've had enough. <laughs> it's, it's off. Oh. What the fuck? 
to whopping two years suspended with $1,200 fine that was made a good behaviour bond. So if he was good for two years, he was reimbursed his $1,200. Oh, my God. It's a a a savings plan. It's like they've given him an interest fee. Probably fucking given him some interest on his (laughs) $1,200. Like... What the oh, it is that's, a joke. That's laughable. That is, is actually is, laughable. Like, and this is what, like, I, I hope that anyone listening understands why we're laughing. Like, it is, it is a joke. <laughs> like, it, it, it's so absurd. Yeah, that was that. That was the end of that line, basically. Yeah, I was. I know that we first... um we laughed about yeah. that then. Oh. I, I like that you touched on that, but it's not. It's not oh. to say this isn't absolutely horrific, and in many cases yeah. we laugh because just I think you can you can understand the utter absurdity to give him a twelve hundred dollar fine to reimburse that to give this man a non custodial sentence for being found guilty of two separate occasions of child sexual abuse, two separate occasions. There was a third charge yeah. on the plate. There was a yeah. list of people that he had admitted to. Like, there is yeah. investigations here that have not been done. Oh, there are people who huge. are calling him a good man, and it's just like this is absolutely not a system that is designed to. No. It's only designed to, to re-traumatise victims, to not fucking yeah. care about them. And then yeah. it makes you wonder what the hell is the point. And yeah. we had this discussion as well. It's the It's the modern decriminalization of sex offenses yeah 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 because even There's if you are no found real. guilty there are no repercussions no there really aren't yeah really not and i think it's this yeah it's just such a outrageous a fucked thing and i think i think i i just keep coming back to like how and it's kind of similar to what you said, like how incredibly lucky I was. If I think about the this the situation I was in with a supportive family who believed me right away, who, you know, put support in place for me right away, who tried to pursue it with the cops right away and were told to go like not to worry about it, who then supported me through the the next criminal process when it was finally happening. I, you know, you got convictions, he uh, so he now has convictions on his record or whatever, which is something. It's I mean, it's better than nothing, but I don't know, man. Um, you know, like I, I'm one of the better outcomes and it was soul destroying. But if you then think about if you don't have that supportive family, if you don't have resources or family that can look after you when you have a breakdown, when you turn 18, if you don't have... Um, you know, if I'm a young black kid, if I'm a, a young trans kid, if I'm if I'm a kid with who struggles to get to school for various family reasons and then has less and less adults in my life, you know, kind of looking out for me and my protection, like the the layers of disadvantage that you could then add on to my story and just imagine how much fucking worse it gets. It's bad. And I'm not cool with this kind of thing of like oh, yeah, well, that's just what it is. Like, like yeah, it's going to be brutal. Like, yeah. Or, oh, you don't want to go to trial because this is how defence attorneys speak to victims and that's just how it is. Okay, or we could change that. 
Yep. Like, or we could bring in a code of fucking conduct and some best practice guidelines around how you speak to fucking child sexual abuse victims or victims in general in a court setting. You know, Apparently like those not, rules do exist, but they. Well, then <laughs> where's the implementation of them? Because this exactly. is the story I consistently hear is consistent. People are vomiting. They have a bucket next yeah. to their witness stand because when yeah. people testify, they're so frequently crying so much yeah. that they vomit. Like that's yeah. standard practice. They have they have that occurring so much that they have a vomit bucket. Like yeah. that says enough about how traumatizing this is. You know what yeah. I mean? My experience was so minimal because of the guilty plea, because of everything, and because mm, I was same. a child. Yeah, I was removed. Yeah, same. And we've just not like I don't know if you have to go through that process. And you're hearing these stories and all you and all, all you get along the way is either, you know, it's got to get past the police. Yeah. It's got to get past the DPP. It's got to get a certain, like, you've got so many barriers that you've barriers. got to just to get it there to then be fucking traumatized by somebody. And they know they do it. Mm. Like it, the fact that the DPP and every person along the way in so many of the cases on this podcast have told people, you know, if if you want to go ahead, then maybe we can, but we recommend you don't go ahead because yeah. it's going to be really hard and traumatic for you. And it's yeah. just like, well, then as much as I'm sure we would both agree on this statement, like if it's not what you want to do, then don't do it. Oh, right, fucking that, totally. That's not justice for everybody. But when we say everybody is now not going to do it, we have decriminalized sexual assault, and we've got a fucking yeah. problem. Yeah, where people now can almost legally sexually assault children and other human beings and yeah. it's like I yeah. like what you said about the fact that we can't just accept this we need to change it yeah and what I do think so this like because I know we're running out of time um but I do think I'll touch on briefly like this is part of what and in a future episode I will talk a bit about um some other experiences I had in a religious group during my teens um but but this experience very much plays into something that I'm now working on because it's all these survivor stories, we keep hearing this same stuff like every time. Uh, and even in these, you know, quote unquote best case scenarios, we still hear about how harmful it is and the kinds of barriers that survivors face. And that's just talking about the legal system. That's not even talking about the healthcare system, um, the mental health system, the schooling system and the kinds of challenges you face as a CSA victim or a sexual violence survivor in terms of your education and the disruptions there and the lack of understanding around your needs as a survivor in those spaces. There are so many different structures in our society that mean that our society is is um, inaccessible uh, for victim survivors of trauma. There's so many ways that our society is inaccessible for victim survivors of trauma that it just is. Um, and I don't think, I don't want to stop with just the statement, it just is, you know. And I think one of the ways that we change these structures, that we argue for better laws and better procedures and practices um, is by getting public buy-in. Like we need the broader community to fucking give a shit. We need the broader community to hear like depressing as fuck stories like this one and be like what the fuck and then to hear this is common like this is not like oh a really crazy story this is uh i would argue a lower end 
experience, like a lower end traumatic experience with the legal system. Like we need broader community to hear those things and fucking turn up a bit, like get mad, call your local representative, get educated around the legislation in this space and what should and shouldn't change. Subscribe and like follow podcasts like this one and services like Blue Knot and Brave Hearts and Samson and people who are doing work in this space, the Great Tame Foundation, like connect in and give us give as much of a shit as victim survivors do. Because at the moment there's a lot of us out here in the advocacy space and like fighting for this stuff. And we have our, our allies that are usually people in our lives, right? But yeah, like we need, we need, we need sporting stars making public statements around child sex abuse and sexual violence. Like that should be happening. Because it can't just be Angelina Jolie. She's she can't carry the burden of every she single can't do it all. person in the world. Like, and it shouldn't just be it shouldn't just be Grace Tame. It shouldn't just shouldn't be, just be women. You know, it shouldn't be or, you know, or even the good work that Samson does. It shouldn't just be victim survivors. It should be fucking all of us. So anyway, yeah. that's that's my little no, rant. I love it. Like, and you know, come what aboard, the, all of us, yeah. please. Because you know? I think when people think about it, they go, oh, you know, victim survivors always say, believe all survivors. And I get so many people in my fucking DM saying that I'm <gasps> that the innocent and proving till guilty is the important <laughs> thing here. But when sure. you go, the amount of evidence that you would need to get through the to the police, the amount oh. of evidence that you would need to get through to the DPP, bringing yeah. that to court. Having 12 people decide that that's not real, that happens yeah. 95 to 99% of the time. Yeah. So when we're talking about it, and I think the, the, you know, what you started with at the top of this episode when we started chatting about it, when you were saying that we've had, and you're right, Me Too has happened. This whole mm. awareness campaign, this whole thing where they're like, oh, women are coming forward so much more now. Probably the rates of assault coming forward have increased, definitely. But yeah, definitely. The conviction rates have not changed. Have not. Yeah. What yeah. does that say? That says that community need to get on board. And I have some ideas. Maddie has some ideas. A few of us have some ideas on how we do that. And we're working on it. But I guess this is a call out to any listeners. I mean, to me, anyone who's listening to this podcast, we're probably preaching to the choir, right? But like, <laughs> but like, I want all of us. I don't want it to just keep falling on victim survivors and their families and their partners and their support people. I want fucking everyone. I want sporting people. I want actors who have had no lived experience of this. I want people with influence and money. I want businesses with influence and money to start taking this on um, and leading public discourse about this as much as us. Like platform the voices of victim survivors always. But how about throwing some of that influence and that resource behind victim survivor projects um, and and just making it known that your position on this is that you believe survivors and that you want community to turn up more for us? Yeah. You know? 100%. And it's just that anyway. the system needs to change and adjust. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think I've spoken about this on a previous podcast, but I did like just the out-of-the-box thinking where it was a guy on TikTok and he basically said, I don't want Car- Carol from bloody Baskin Robbins in America, Baskin Robbins, I don't Baskin want Carol, Robbins. whatever he said, um, to be the person determining whether he goes to jail or not or whether somebody oh, else no. goes to jail. And yeah. it's just like when you put it like that, you've got like a a bookkeeper from out of town, you've got an <laughs> IT guy who's never spoken to anybody else, you've got, you know, you've got a real estate agent who's grown up in a massively yeah. privileged family. Sure. You bring these, yeah. And I understand it's supposed to be by a jury of your peers, but 
there is no, what he basically said was that there's that jurors and juries should be a position that you go to university for to get trained in specifically yes. as a specialist and yes. you know i like the idea and it's mm. just putting in an alternate process it's putting yes. up something that could be a pilot project or program yeah it's can we not just try and tinker with an yeah. existing process that has existed since the beginning of you know, colonization yeah, in colonization. Australia. Yeah. yeah. Where you turn around and you go, this doesn't work. It's built for white people. It's built yes. for white men. It's yeah. not built for victim survivors. So how can we just blow it up, start yeah. again, try with a pilot project. I'm not saying change the whole system right now. I'm saying sure. for, the, for a, a select few of the mm. volume that go to police even, not that come to the DPP, take it through mm. the whole system. Yeah. From disclosure to whatever. Work yeah. with the local crisis services who deal with this every single day every and are experts day. in taking this forward. Do you want to be a part of a pilot program where you don't actually have to go through the normal police process? Replicate yeah. the process that is done uh, in Argentina and other cases where they've got the women's police services. Yeah. Try something different because I'm yeah. just sick of this whole and I know we've gone on about it, but it is so frustrating. We've gone from laughing about it and I'm nearly in tears yeah. now because it is yeah, so it is so absurd and outrageous yeah. that two victims of sexual crimes that were children at the time that they were sexually violated mm-hmm. have had such poor outcomes yet feel guilty because they're one of the lucky ones. Like, Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> yeah, that, that is untenable to me. Like that's a unacceptable situation and I think if the I think if the average person actually really knew this is how common this experience is I think they would also feel it's unacceptable I think unfortunately the average Joe I just picked them I always laugh and saying the average Joe because I know quite a few Joes in my life and I just think <laughs> of them but the average the average random person out in the world in Australia <coughs> I think has no idea of the realities of living with a CSA or a sexual violence or even DV experience, let alone the processes and the barriers that you experience in the legal system, in the healthcare system, and in all of these other systems, in the employment systems. Um, They just have no idea. And I think people would give a shit if they knew um, and were then kind of guided towards a way to advocate and push for change. I think people... I like to believe in humanity that people do and want to care, but I think um, people are perhaps at times willfully ignorant um, or would prefer the comfort of ignorance or a lack of awareness to the discomfort of, like, hearing stories like this and going, Jesus, like, that's shit. Yeah, it is. It is shit. It is shit. Um, Please join us. In saying that shit. In saying and, it, yeah. Yeah. It, I think the other yeah. thing as well is like you see so much with the way that it's framed. So if you just say to somebody like, do you think a rapist should go to jail? I think 99% of people would say yeah. absolutely. Fuck yeah. And then if you frame it though and you go, do you think that um, every sexual assault survivor should have their day in court? And it's just like, well, they probably made it up or, you know, that mm. you, you phrase it in a Ooh, certain it way. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, I ask this question of people a lot because it comes down to that bias. If I said, 
to you. Do you think that um, a guy who grabbed a girl on the side of the road and sexually assaulted her should go to jail for that crime? What's Mm. the look of the person that's done that? Mm. Because I don't think many of you have a white guy in your head. Mm. I don't think many of you have a 20-year-old law student in your mind when you're thinking about that. You've got a built-in bias that we all have. So when you say rapist, you think that you go, I want him to go to jail. Yeah. When you hear supposed or alleged victim, you Mm. go, they could be lying and your mind isn't Mm. immediately going to, they deserve an evidence-based trauma-free experience. We're going to find justice for that. They deserve to have somebody representing them, not somebody just representing the state. state. They deserve to have better outcomes than 1%. Like yeah, yeah. The absurdity of how bad it is is not known enough, and people's own biases and their fucking lack of understanding is not well known enough. No, no, and that's part of what I'm, you know, one of the, and this is why I love podcasts like this one and podcasts like Stronger. It's like, come and take a look inside. Like, come and hear from us. Like, we're we're everywhere. Like the Richmond we're everywhere in the world. Um, and we have like a lot to say. And some of it's actually super interesting and a lot of it's horrifying, sure. But we have a lot to say and we have a whole world that you don't know about. Um, but we would like you to know about and give a shit Absolutely. about because you can then help us change that world and that reality. Um and I sort of have a project I'm starting to work on um, and partner with different orgs on, which is a documentary um, project following some of my attempts at justice in my own life and talking to other victim survivors about theirs. Conversations like this, because I want to highlight um, in a public space um, and in a really like um, can't look away fashion, um, what really goes on. Um, that it's quite it's quite complex and it's pretty shit um and we need a lot more people to give a shit about it absolutely Um, yeah and ultimately the the better our systems become it's not just for us victim survivors it's also um then creates cultures that are less and less accepting of csa and sexual violence as a whole which ideally in a long-term fashion it decreases sexual offending um, but while our legal system is kind of cool with it and our broader society is kind of cool with it, um, yeah, we we just keep perpetuating unsafe environments. So anyway, yeah. we'll see. I think you've summarised it all really incredibly well there. So thank you so much, um, Jen, thank for, for coming me. on and sharing that story. I mean, I know mm. we've nearly cried, we've laughed, yes. we've done a lot through this. It's a full range of emotion. It's a range of emotions. Yeah, there's a lot. Um, but I, I do appreciate it. And thank you for coming on and being so candid and sharing something that's mm. obviously impacted your life quite a lot and and mm. for what you continue to do. Um, I will, you will definitely be coming back on because I do want yes. to keep talking to there's you, especially. Part, there's a part yeah. two, which is its own crazy I ride. I, I'm excited to have you back on to talk <laughs> about that. But yeah. in the meantime, mm. um, if anybody wants to get in contact with you or to support mm. you um, or to, can I say, come and listen to your podcast that you have yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. How can so, they do that? Definitely. So I co-host a podcast called It's So Hard um, with a dear friend of mine. It's a podcast about life in and around the sex industry. So um, we have a bunch of guests on who are sex workers in many different forms. 
and we talk about all kinds of interesting, funny, nightmarish, nuanced, complex um, components of the sex industry, and that's um, predominantly sex worker-led, um, which is, I think, really important in the same way that survivor-led projects are really important. Um, so you can head over to at SoHardPod on social media or find us on um, podcast platforms. It's so hard. Warning, it is like explicit. We talk about sex stuff. Um, so just a heads up there. Um, if you're uh, not into that, probably not your thing. Otherwise, I am. I don't have like a public social media in terms of like uh, you would need to add me, but I am sort of slowly connecting in with like victim survivor communities. So if people do want to add me, um, you're welcome to. I'm, what am I actually at the moment? I think I'm Jen Brown here on Instagram. Well, what I'll do is I'll, yeah, I'll link, um, I'll link your social media and I'll do a link to your, um, to the Apple podcasts yeah, uh, cool. link for your podcast page so that people can go through and access anything that they want through there. Yeah. If you want to get in t- in touch with Jen and you can't get in touch with her, or for some reason you can get in touch with me and I'll sure. pass the message pass a lot on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. I'm keeping my, um, for various complicated reasons, which we might touch on next time, I'm keeping my personal Instagram not kind of public, um, but I'm also connecting, interested in connecting with people in this community. So, like, I'm cool for people to add me and connect through that way. Um, it's just that I can't have it fully open at this stage. So, yeah, yes, but don't if it comes up as like private, please feel free to add. Still, is what I'm saying. <laughs> like, don't feel like you can't. Um, no, I yeah. love that. Um, yeah, yeah, it just goes to show that there's a number of complexities that occur in different areas, and that's okay. Indeed. We'll support that, um, and we'll yeah. support you. So, you know, in alignment with that, if you do go and listen to the podcast, it's so mm-hmm. hard. Please go and rate and review it. And if you haven't, oh yeah, so this it's an amazing love thing it. that you can do just to show a little bit of support for somebody out there doing this podcast work. It is not easy. So. No, it's not on many fronts. Yeah. <laughs> But again, thank yeah. you so much, Jen, and I can't wait to have mm-hmm. you back um, for part two. Sounds awesome. Yeah, sounds awesome. Thank you for having me. Big love. <laughs> sounds good. Just popping in here to have some final thoughts before we wrap up with part two. I think it goes without saying that Jen is an incredible human being and the mental fortitude that she shows through articulating herself in the way that she does, the effort that she's put into her education following on from what she's had to go through as a child the subsequent gaslighting and trauma from the system as well, it's utterly devastating to hear not only what people have gone through but their experiences in the aftermath of navigating a criminal or civil trial system or speaking with people like the police or not getting the type of mental health services and protections that they need. It is a very angry-making podcast and I think, you know, the reason that I do this isn't just to give victim survivors back their voices, but it is so that the community has an idea about the lived experience of people. So many times we have these thoughts and these feelings about the systems that we have in place, but it's not until you hear somebody who's actually had to navigate that space that you get to understand where the flaws really lie. And to hear somebody like Jen's story, to have the first immediate person come out and be so, uh, well, I don't even know how to say it other than just calling him an absolute twat. To have a police officer treat a child like that, to have there be a reluctance to get formal and qualified people to speak to children at the time of abuse happening and allegations being made, to have them sitting in a room with their family members rather than being with a forensic expert in child interview, it's 
it's utterly devastating. And I think that the importance of having these discussions as well is it being angry making because so many of you message me and contact me and say, you know, not that it's a hopeless podcast, but what can you do to help? And, you know, I always do go in with the trope that I harp on at the beginning and end of every episode about liking and subscribing and rating, reviewing and sharing to get these stories out there so that other people can hear and understand this lived experience as well. But in addition to that, there are other things that you can do. From an individual level, you can continue to get in touch with your local MPs. You can write into your local council. You can go write to the Premier. You can write to different state government departments. You can, in writing, become a very loud and squeaky wheel. You can share different things online. If you get a topic trending, if you articulate this in a certain way and you get these different problems in front of people, then we tend to get the ball moving in many ways. I always remind people that crime is a social construct. That means that it's not a scientific methodology and it means that we can change it. We can update it as our knowledge increases. We can update it as our our understanding of the world evolves with the time and the people around us. So don't feel disheartened in any way by this. I think if you feel angry about it, do something about it. If you're not sure what to do, give it a Google or contact somebody You can even on a larger scale go and volunteer for -for not-for-profit organizations. You can run people's social medias for them if you want to. You can go um, and work at a family violence shelter. You can, you know, quit your job and go and start studying social work. There's so many things that you can do. But at the grassroots level, at the very basic individual level, the things that you can do for free outside of that do consist of things like, yeah, liking, resharing, writing your own content, um, stitching your own content on social media and things like that. But just anything that you can do to support in any way of those levels is amazing. Email members of parliament, show your outrage for different items, make sure that you are loud and proud about it. Silence only colludes with the perpetrator and the offenders. And it's important that we all remember that we must not stay neutral. Staying neutral is choosing the side of the oppressor. Staying neutral is choosing the side of the offender. So, you know, my final thoughts for the year are be loud and be proud. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening this year. It's been so wonderful to bring you these episodes every year and it's been so wonderful to have this platform grow as much as it has. I love you all dearly. Thank you for listening to Reclaim Me. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you do need help or support, please reach out to those crisis services or suggested resources in the show notes for this episode. Have a look after yourself and make sure that you're doing and taking the time that you need to process the information or to process anything that may have come up that was triggering for you. Lastly, I do have one ask. Can you please take the time to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any platform that you listen to Reclaim Me on? This helps tremendously with me reaching additional people and making sure that we get the word out there that there is no shame or stigma that should be associated with being a victim of these crimes. If you could also share this podcast with somebody you may know, as you may not be a survivor yourself, but you sure as hell know one.